This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, uh, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. Surprise! Yay! Woo! Yeah, Spencer's here today. Holla. And uh, Spencer, why are you here today? I'm here today because I absolutely could not miss this guest. We have our brand new friend with us, Kevin Nye. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, we're fabulous. So excited <laughs> to be here. Uh, so Kevin is an author. Um, tell us what your new book is called. Yeah, it's called Grace Can Lead Us Home, A Christian Call to End Homelessness. Mm. Love that. Um, he also uh, is all over on Twitter, sometimes being pretty sassy, which we love here <laughs> on the podcast. I, I um, can be known for that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And he is just passionate about um, exactly what his book said about Christians call to ending homelessness and what we're doing now kind of in this faith based um you know, spear, but also kind of crossing into like the secular version, because if you've listened to our podcast, you know that we think that a lot of these kind of social aspects, the church is called to, but unfortunately they're failing at it. So we're going to kind of talk about mm. what we can do better. <laughs> hard, failing hard. Kevin, <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Uh, welcome to the pod. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm really happy to have this conversation. We are too. Um, personally, I'm very passionate about this. But before we get into the passion, the vitriol, and the sass, why don't you tell us a little bit about your testimony, your life story? So uh, I was raised in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, Ooh, oh, no wonder. You're yeah. so Nazarene. <laughs> <laughs> like, Naz Nazarene's mostly past the vibe check. There's some yeah. things not so much, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel that. Um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting because it really just depends on which one you're talking to at what particular time, because yes, in, yes. in some ways I... I do think I am kind of a classic Nazarene in, in the sense that the founder, one of the founders was from Los Angeles and was super committed to uh, addressing poverty in Los Angeles, in mm. downtown. Um, however, there is a whole other side of Nazarenes that is really committed to uh, holiness and not going to movies and not <laughs> dancing and uh, yeah and those all of those streams kind of cross uh, and 
became the weird amalgam that that we are still today um but anyway uh so that's the the situation i grew up in um when i was in middle school i felt a call to ministry as one does yes um and just pursued that as any middle school and high schooler does by just being really extra um, and being in church all the time. Uh, I went to Southern Nazarene University in Oklahoma uh, to continue pursuing that, studied theology and ministry, uh, decided when I was done there that I wanted to keep going to school. So I moved to California to attend Fuller Seminary, did an MDiv, graduated, and uh, long story short, uh, being a pastor was not in the cards for me. Uh, And yeah, we can get into that if you want. Uh, We're obviously going to. Um, And yeah, so instead I pivoted to uh, homeless services and that's what I've been doing ever since for about six years now. Mm. Mm. I've I've decided um when people ask what your red flag is I think everyone's answer should be I had a call to ministry as a high school like, <laughs> I, feel like I was I was a middle yeah. schooler mm-hmm. uh, even worse like oh yeah what was your red flag middle school I decided ministry is it you know because yeah. nothing nothing screams like responsible choice than a 14 year old deciding that they're going to be responsible for people's future theological path. I'll one-up you though I, when I was in middle school I felt the call to be a global missionary which is mm-hmm. a, <laughs> a little worse <laughs> yes which is everything Spencer just said but adding in colonialism yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. as a little brown girl oh my god but anyways tell us about this pastor thing (laughs) yeah well first what made you choose the school you did because i i know of a few nazarene schools and i would not choose oklahoma over like unless you're from oklahoma are you from there no i'm I'm from arizona so (laughs) oh then i don't know how the hell you ended up in fucking oklahoma where where in arizona are you from and why would you choose oklahoma over like san diego yeah so i'm i'm from tempe arizona and i get it i wanted to go to point loma there was a there was a noise that happened yeah i'm not a fan of tempe sorry uh, okay. Okay, Tucson. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Uh, I didn't even grow up in Tucson. I grew up in Yuma. So. Okay, Yuma. <laughs> Yuma's oh. a lot worse than Tim. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> Yuma was. <laughs> I was told growing up that Yuma was proof that hell exists. I so mean because um, Yuma is where I found Jesus. So how dare. I just saw the the what's his name Crow what's his last name he had a movie two thirteen to Yuma or something oh three three ten to Yuma three ten to Yuma I saw that movie that's a historical movie okay <laughs> okay well that's the only context I have anyways fuck Arizona yes. okay California uh, ride or die to, baby why did you okay. go to Oklahoma <laughs> because Point Loma was too expensive <laughs> okay then why didn't All you right. go to like uh there's one in like idaho like i just feel like there's a lot of i would pick though. oklahoma over idaho for what? sure yeah what? potatoes y'all po- potatoes or tornadoes there's a lot of mean mormons in idaho i will say that i don't know that so i did yeah anyways so all right I'm, so you went to oklahoma yeah i went to oklahoma point loma was too expensive and well so what 
SNU had that I found out about was they had a ministerial internship program where basically I would be an intern at a church for increasing hours every year. So it was like five, 10, 15, and then 20 my senior year. And it also had an escalating scholarship to match it. So that if you made it by the end and we're doing 20 hours in a local church, that was a full ride for senior year. So wow, wow. amazing. Yeah, yeah. okay. Great. So, so that's, that's that's how it happened. <laughs> I love it. And did you meet your wife in Oklahoma or did you meet her at Fuller? Uh at Fuller. Yep. We were both MDiv students. And how, how did you hear about Fuller? Um, just looking at seminaries. Um, I think Part of it was uh, that, you know, I knew I missed out going to Point Loma on the, <laughs> the California experience. And I was like, well, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Yeah. Kevin, uh, I'm going to ask you a weird intermittent question here, a little tangent. Um, when you compare Arizona and California, <laughs> set a little debate for us here on the podcast. <laughs> What's better, California and Arizona? I mean, Pros California is to both. undoubtedly oh! better. Um Okay. Arizona I'm gonna keep is a running tally. Way too hot. Um <laughs> California is way too expensive, but Arizona's getting that way too. So and um I mean California is also getting way too hot. Like global warming is a thing, y'all. All right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Los Angeles is not sustainable. Um, but and the would- Phoenix isn't currently no, nor is tucson livable so I, uh, tucson is actually compared to yuma tucson is way more livable and also phoenix is a shitty version of la in the middle of the sun so when people are trying to compare like phoenix to la mm-hmm. i'll always say la is better but like i've always hated phoenix so that's like a no-brainer to me <laughs> yeah i get it anyways sorry about that tangent everybody i just um i write yes hard. okay so you moved to california went to fuller fuller's in pasadena pretty bougie area but also pasadena has a large homeless population mm-hmm. um so what how did you end up doing what you're doing now like especially because you're like pastor thing didn't work out like yeah what happened yeah so i mean a number of things so when i graduated from southern nazarene in oklahoma the kind of like main path for me would have been to like become a youth pastor really quickly. And I found out by interning in youth ministry that I did not want to be a youth pastor at all. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for admitting that. that. Thank yeah. you for admitting that. <laughs> and, and so I was like, okay, well, nobody's going to hire me for anything else right now. So let's do more school uh, and just kind of punt this whole working in a church thing a few more years down the road. Um, so I did that and throughout seminary, I was working mostly in coffee shops. Um, and I got to the end of seminary and also had no real strong desire to take a church job. Didn't have any, like really no one was, you know, knocking at my door for that. Uh, and at the same time, my denomination was kind of, um, they're struggling with me <laughs> a bit. Um, so I, I was a licensed minister, uh, but I was not ordained. So every year I had to go like get re-upped, um, mm-hmm. for my license, uh, on the path to ordination. And by like 2016, I had finished the course of study, like way more than, cause most don't even go to seminary in the church of the Nazarene. Um, 
and I pretty much completed my hours too. And so they started kind of asking the tougher questions. And, um, by the time I finished seminary, I was fully affirming and the church of the Nazarene is not, mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of pastors in the church of Nazarene who are, but they kind of got in before anyone cared to ask or, you know, just, or they became affirming after (laughs) they were already ordained. Right. The church's version of don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, exactly. But they, but they started asking, uh, in 2016. Uh, so, you know, it had just been legal, uh, gay marriage was legalized at the federal level right Mm -hmm. before then. And then, you know, you have the lead up to, to Trump, so everyone's kind of like, um, put your cards you know, on the table. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I ended up getting asked and, uh, I wasn't even fully honest. <laughs> I, I hate that now because of how it ended, but I was like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm thinking about this. And, um, and he, even that they were like, uh, no, no, not, not okay. No thinking. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> even just the thought is bad. Yeah. And so that kind of led to a series of more and more meetings. And they basically told me we'll renew your license again, but you, you will never get ordained unless you can like fully express our current doctrine on this as yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so they kind of just put it back in my court as to what to do about it. So I ended up leaving the process. Um, and so now I, I had already started working in homeless services, kind of reading the room <laughs> that the, the pastor thing wasn't going to happen and just thought, mm-hmm. okay, like if I'm, I'm, I'm still a person of faith, like, but, and I have, you know, I've, through my education have come to value certain things about that faith more than others. And one of those is, you know, social justice and preferential option for the poor. And so let's, I'll go do that. (laughs) And lived in LA, like you said, homelessness on every corner. Um, Not hard to identify that as kind of a a good, good place to start. Um, So that's what I did. During that process, did you ever think about leaving the denomination for another one? Or or is it kind of like you're committed to the Nazarenes for one reason or another? It's more practical than anything. Um, I knew that if I was going to switch denominations, I'd have to start over. And I just wasn't Mm. ready to do that at that time. And also, I... I was and still am attending a church in the denomination that is, you know, more, more progressive and whose values are more clearly aligned with mine that just kind of, like you said, the church kind of just, the denomination just kind of a don't ask, don't tell, like, let's celebrate how this one church is magically like keeping young people, but not ask Mm. what about their theology might be different to allow that to happen. Um, so and so for me, I was like, I, I don't want to leave this church that I'm a part of. So I'd be, I'd be starting over in a bunch of different ways to, to do that. And yeah. That's valid. So what led you to, um, you know, just kind of like writing your book. And I know you said you started working in homeless services at that point. So what kind of like brought that about? Sure. Yeah. So I, I've been doing this for, for six years now. And I think after the first couple of years, um, 
I'm the type of person that if I do, if I do something, I, I go all the way. Like when I was, mm. when I was a barista, I was the guy who was like staying two hours late, practicing my latte art because I wanted to like pour the Heaven. best and Kevin. like doing latte art competitions and like reading books in my spare time on like espresso extraction. What did that do for you? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, it just, <laughs> I get whatever I'm doing. I'm, I'm packing, <laughs> you know? And so, so then did I you, took, oh, go ahead. Did you work at pa- uh, coffee shops in Pasadena? Cause I just want to yes. feel, I, where, which where one you work. Yeah. I'm like, I feel like I, I want to know that I got your coffee art at some point <laughs> during my college years. Probably. I worked at Copa Vida. Oh, 100%. Why you work at Copa yeah, Vida? Like 100% that I, um, the likelihood of me having a latte made by you, um, very high. So very, very high. Yeah. Kevin, it's people like you that made it when I was a barista very hard. Cause I had to start measuring shit and I had to be like tasting so much espresso in a day that I was wired out of my mind. Ugh, I took the easy route Jen. and I did Starbucks. So I didn't have to do any of that fancy crap. <laughs> hey, working at Starbucks is not easy though. Oh, 100%. The volume yeah. alone. The, uh, yeah. Well, especially I went from the, the on-campus Starbucks where you, it's all your friends and your professors and people are gen like generally nice to you. Like some people are shitty, but normally they're super nice graduated and transferred off campus to a drive-through at a major freeway intersection. Mm. And I worked the, the four thirty open shift and people were like, I feel like demons are real because of that. Demons experience. are real. <laughs> demons are real because of Starbucks hell is real because of you shift yeah oh wow i'm still very offended by that anyway my mother will not like that sorry mom okay so you go all in when you do something okay yeah so (laughs) i started homeless services i i want to know everything about it so i'm I'm, you know i'm i'm doing my work but i'm also i'm reading books about about homelessness on the side i'm trying to attend conferences do uh webinars everything um And what I came to learn pretty quickly was that we really do know how to end homelessness. And I mean, it's, it's America. We have the resources if we want to. Right. So the question became, what is, what's stopping us? Um, and, And for me, the more I interrogated that, the more it came down to it's, it's an ideology. Uh, and for me as, as a person of faith, any ideology is, usually upheld by some theology too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the more, more I thought about that, the more I realized, okay, as much as I want to keep doing this work of, you know, sort of helping, helping the folks who are currently living on the streets, we also like, there's work to be done, um, on us culturally, on us theologically, if we're going to really make the dent that we need to in this issue. Um, and so that's where the idea to, to write about it came. And over time, I sort of boiled it down to my thesis, which was about grace. Uh, cause for me, the ultimate, the ultimate ideology that we're, we're up against is that people who are poor or people who are experiencing homelessness deserve it. Um, I think that every, every myth about poverty stems from that. Um, and even if we are, we don't admit that one, that's kind of the, like, that's the foundation that everything else is built on. And, and for me, the theological concept of grace 
just obliterates that completely. Like mm-hmm. if we believe in grace, that means we don't get what we deserve or because of who God is, we deserve, you know, X, Y, and Z and not, you know, what, <laughs> what we think we should get. Um, and so that's where grace can lead us home comes from. Mm. I love that. I think what you said about people deserving it is masked by other language. So it doesn't sound so harsh. So we feel better about it of, you know, like they, they don't work hard enough. That's why they're in poverty or plenty of jobs out there. Yes. There's so many jobs or like they, uh, it's their fault that they're an addict or, you know, like they, it's their fault that they have like a mental illness or things like that, that like a lot of times people that are experiencing homelessness, you know, they're kind of go hand in hand and it just makes us feel better about it. Mm -hmm. When really exactly what you said, it's really under it all. It's, it's us basically saying, well, they deserve it. So that's why. (laughs) Right. I find this uh, topic very difficult because I'm very passionate about it. Um, One of the first things that I said my we would always talk about winning the lottery in my family because they're love the lottery for whatever reason (laughs) and my first answer as a kid of my parents asking me what i would do with my lottery money was be like i'd buy some apartment buildings so i could house some people some homeless people and in high school i did the whole thing um i've been involved i've read about it i'm very knowledgeable um i'm very interested and i'm very angry that's my number one thing is like you said we have the resources we know what we can do the solution is there it's known it's been studied we know what we're supposed to be doing but for some reason and i will 100 percent blame evangelicalism actually because (laughs) i don't care for some reason evangelical american christians can see abortion as a one issue voting thing right my you know my bible says that we can't kill babies i mean it doesn't say that but that's what they think and then all of a sudden when you read the whole feed the hungry clothe the naked house the unhoused like that is not worthy of you voting for putting your tax dollars for all of a sudden we're not voting biblically anymore i have a hard time not um burning shit down at that point quite personally (laughs) i feel you i've i've been in a a big burn shit down mood for the last couple Mm. years like a lot of people have been so tell us about the topics that you explore in your book as a result sure so um yeah, I, th- I think that a lot of the stuff that you mentioned, Spencer, um, that people bring up around homelessness, like mental illness, like drugs, um, those are important to talk about, but we have to frame the conversation properly. We have to, we have to get there kind of. So the, the route I take in my book and it's not out yet. I should say like, I still going through process. So some of this may change. Um, but, um, initially framing the issue in terms of what is it that we, what is it that we see when we see homelessness? What, what are we, what do we project onto that? What should we be seeing? Um, and then talking about housing. Um, Mm -hmm. I fundamentally believe that homelessness is 
first a housing crisis. Mm. Um, everything else is secondary. Everything else is a risk factor for homelessness, but mm -hmm. the inability to access and afford housing is the cause of homelessness hundred percent. Mm -hmm. Um, so then, uh, I also talk about how homelessness is a crisis of isolation, mm -hmm. um, and disconnection really, uh, because there is, you know, the inability to access housing, right? If tomorrow my landlord decided to raise my rent and I lost my job, um, I would not immediately have to start sleeping outside because I have mm -hmm. a social network, a family network that can catch mm -hmm. me. Right. So there is a piece of homelessness that is also isolation or a lack of community support. Um, so I address those aspects of it and then start to talk about kind of the topical stuff. So mental health, substance use, addiction, um, and yeah, just trying to apply that, that idea of grace, overall but also kind of to each of those individual aspects mm -hmm. i have a huge problem i have a lot of huge problems <laughs> don't we all uh, i have a problem with um substance abuse in particular because i think about all these people that are against housing first initiatives for example in my humble opinion seems like the solution right housing first um without drug tests without all this stuff because how are you supposed to get clean on the streets right and people are like well it's only 72 hours like or whatever like you should be able to get clean on the streets and then i think back to college and i think uh about rich white kids and i think um how about you spend 72 hours sober Let's see if you could do it. Because I know for a fact that lots of you are smoking pot, doing coke, maybe the occasional meth. Um, so you and sleep outside while you do it. Right. So you do drugs of all kinds, LSD, shrooms, whatever, and you have a house because you're bored, essentially, right? We are all looking for existential truths or whatever, sure, whatever. But essentially, you're bored. Now, imagine you have nothing and nobody and you're on the street. You don't have TV. You might have a cell phone, but you might not have service. So at the very least, you should be sympathetic to the fact that they might be bored and drugs might be fun. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would add to that, you know, drugs, drugs serve a purpose. Like mm -hmm. people, people use drugs because they work. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the, the questions that we should be asking is what is it that the drugs are accomplishing for mm -hmm. people? Um, so, you know, you, there's a certain class of drugs, opioids, right? Mm -hmm. They numb pain. Yep. People use them to block pain and that pain is not just physical pain. It's all kinds of pain, mm. right? So if I were sleeping outside all the time, if my stuff was getting stolen all the time, if I felt like I was constantly at risk in danger, I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. I didn't know if the police were going to show up and, and throw all my stuff away. Uh, I would probably use drugs too. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm not a person who, uh, you know, comes from who has a lot of like trauma in my childhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, 
and folks who are experiencing homelessness overwhelmingly do. So it's not just the trauma of sleeping outside, it's compounding trauma from childhood. And drugs are a great way to self-soothe when nothing else is going well in your life. Exactly. How many of us are on antidepressants? How many of these Orange County white moms can't live without their 10 Xanax a day? Like it's the mm -hmm. same cycle, except that you have resources, you have money and you have a home. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I, you know, as somebody who has battled with mental illness for over a decade at this point, it's one of those things where it's like, I love what you said about like community because when I like try to like think about like being in that person's shoes, it's, it's literally impossible for me because I have so many kind of safety nets in my life of yep. my parents would never let me be homeless. Like mm -hmm. if I was an addict and it was that bad where I was on the streets, like they would do everything they could to get me into a treatment facility. Like there are so many things that like, not just my parents, but friends or like the church community that I'm a part of that I know that like, it would literally have to take every catastrophic thing that could happen to me to kind of get me in that position. And so I think a lot of people, when they're so far removed from it, they like don't even know how to comprehend it. And I think that adds to the like, well, they deserve it. When truthfully, when you kind of start to break it down of like, what would it take for you to become homeless? You realize, wow, like these people have been through so much that they don't deserve it. Nobody deserves to be where they are. Like, this is an issue. How can we help them? Like, how can we address their needs? And exactly what you said of, you know, we like to look at things to blame of drugs and that kind of stuff. Exactly what you said of, I take medication that helped me live my day because of mental illness. And if I was living on the streets and I couldn't, I couldn't access that, well, I would try to access anything that would at least make me feel okay or at least some sort of good you know what i mean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a there's a story i tell in the book uh about this guy who i met and he stood out to me immediately because i found out that his uh his birth date is about 10 days away from mine like we're basically the same exact age and he was born in mesa arizona and i was born in chandler arizona which mm -hmm. are neighbors yep. um and when i first met him he was he's a chronic meth user um and I, I found all that information out about him the first thought that came to my mind was oh my gosh that could have been me but then i thought about it more and i realized no, it really couldn't, <laughs> um, for so many reasons. Uh, and as I learned more about him, I found out that like his, his dad, uh, was selling drugs and weapons out of their house and he would stash it under his kid's bed. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the first time that he tried meth, he was eight years old and his dad caught him and laughed about it. Oh. Right. Uh, if I wanted to try meth at any point in my upbringing, uh, I wouldn't have known where to start. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I couldn't have gotten it. I wouldn't have known how to ask for it, who to ask. Right. And so, so it is in some sense, we, we want to like find ways to, to connect and to empathize and to say like, Oh, um, it, it could be me in this way. And, and a lot of mm -hmm. us live like, uh, two paychecks away from housing insecurity at the very least, if not homelessness. Yeah. Um, but in so many other ways and, and 
all of what we understand as risk factors for homelessness. Uh, it's a very particular group of people. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was a USC study actually sort of mapped out what predictors of homelessness are and and offered it as a way of basically, they said that to like 90%, they can predict who is going to become unhoused um, just yeah. based on what all the risk factors are, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a birthright more than, mm-hmm. uh, more than anything um, because the sheer amount of things that would have to happen to each of us, right. Um, mm-hmm. Are so many, uh, but for a lot of people, it's really just one or two things would just have to fall. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about birthright, um, and this is the Speaking in Church podcast. So we're going to talk a little bit about the church, starting with the fact that many religious parents will kick out their LGBTQIA plus youth children out of their homes and into this cycle of homelessness simply because they are gay. Mm-hmm. And I mean... I have a cousin. I mean, he's in Mexico and he doesn't listen to the song. Go fuck. I mean, I wouldn't give a fuck anyways. I say this to his face, but he, I mean, he has three boys and he said to me at my face, he said, my kids know that there are rules in my house and they know that if you, if they want to be gay, they can't be gay in my house. And I was like, their uncle is gay. That he's a gay man in a loving marriage, and they refused to go to his wedding. It was rude for them to be even invited to this wedding. And I thought, and I said, that's fine. They'll come to my house. I'll take care of them. Or, I mean, it's just... The church is supposed to be a safe space for everybody, regardless of class, creed, whatever, right? That's the calling of the gospel. That's what Jesus said. And then you're going to add stipulations like, oh, my kid is gay. So I'm going to put that this child with my DNA or otherwise, this child that I chose to decide to love and care for, and I'm going to put them on the street because they're just not complying with the rules of my house. Like, how does that make sense in a church context, in a holy context, in a gospel context, how does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, we experienced that a lot in Hollywood. Um, yeah. we, we have a really, uh, a really big LGBT youth unhoused population in Hollywood. I think like there is the sense that, you know, if you're, if you're in the Midwest and you get kicked out, you know, where are you going to go? California, you know, where, mm-hmm. where seems, you know, accepting and affirming and you can see mm-hmm. pride flags on every street, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but in, yeah, uh, Hollywood, Los Angeles might be like a decently safe place to be gay, but it's certainly not a safe place to be poor. No, yeah. Not at all. And I mean, you as somebody who works and has almost become a pastor. What do you think the church is one doing wrong, one doing right, if anything, and what they should do in general? Because obviously the evangelical church is not too concerned with this because they got billions of dollars. It's a billion dollar industry. 
and Joel Osteen can't even open up his fucking church for hurricane victims. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think a lot of things. <laughs> That's why I'm writing the book. Um, yeah, I would say for one, something that they're doing right. Um, because I gotta start small. Um, they, they, we, who, whoever, whatever pronoun. Um, am I part of them? Who knows? Uh, the evangelical, the the Christian Church in America uh, does at least a decent job attending to sort of emergent, tangible needs for folks. Um, a lot of churches do food lines, mm. shelters, uh, clothing, hygiene, showers, those kinds of things. Um, and that's really important. Um, the, the work that I do would be a lot harder if that didn't exist. Um, in fact, we've gotten a taste of that during the pandemic. We've had to pivot to doing a lot more food stuff than we used to because, um, with COVID, a lot of, you know, church groups are like, Oh, we can't get together and make sandwiches anymore. We got to shut that down. Um, and yeah, we, and we really need a lot of that, um, where they could do better certainly is how they do them, whether they put stipulations on them, whether or not they require attending a Bible study before getting access to <laughs> a meal or a shower. Um, oh, my least yeah, favorite thing. Yeah, things like Fury. that. <laughs> stuff, stuff like that needs to stop. But a lot of churches aren't doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, I will say a lot of them still are. Anytime I post something about that on Twitter, I get so many people saying like, we don't do that anymore. That doesn't really happen anymore. And I'm like, read the rest of the replies, <laughs> dude. Like mm, everyone's like, my church does this. The, the church I used to go to does this. Um, it happens enough that it's still a problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's still a widespread problem. Um, they're maybe more sneaky about it than they used to be. Mm -hmm. um, I will say a, a benefit that almost is sort of like an ancillary benefit to churches doing something at least is that it does put people who, you know, are middle-class, upper middle-class churchgoers in regular contact mm -hmm. with people experiencing homelessness. And I think that, uh, overall, at least for those churchgoers is a net good because any time spent with, with an unhoused person, you're, you're learning. Now you might also be doing harm to that person. So we need to work on that. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that a lot of the, the great conversations that I've had start from people saying, I met this one person while I was doing this and they changed my perspective about this a little bit. Cause mm -hmm. you know, you meet one person who seems like an exception to your rule. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, Oh, okay. There are exceptions. And then you start to meet more of them and you're like, wait, everybody's an exception. Right. And that's how you can kind of yeah. change your mind about stuff like that. Um, I think more than anything, and this is, this was what drove me to write the book is that Christians are just very 
prone to individualistic thinking. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I care about homelessness in the sense that like, I, I might have a responsibility if a homeless person enters my vicinity and like asks me for something or comes into our church. Like we have to be nice to them. Maybe we rally together. Um, but they have no systems perspective on that because the moment you start to do that is politics, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same problem that the church has with racism, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I, we all agree the church should not be racist in the sense that I should not be actively racist towards a black person who walks into my church. Right. But they have no concept of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the same is true about, about poverty, about homelessness, about housing, um, that we all, we all like to say, Oh, we're within our little circle. We do the best we can. And, mm-hmm. um, but sort of refuse to acknowledge or address things that are ha- happening collectively uh, in cities and states and countries. There's, yeah. there's like two things that come to mind of when thinking about Christians specifically in in the United States and how they view homelessness is there's the one hand of, of, I think there's a lot of fear of like, you know, somebody on the side of the road asking for like money and they're instantly like, they're going to buy drugs with it. Mm -hmm. Or they're like, they're like, Oh, I'll offer to buy them food. And they didn't want food. They just wanted money. So I didn't give them anything when reality of like, maybe you should ask like, if you don't feel comfortable giving money, why not ask like, what do you need? Because maybe they didn't want food because they needed money to buy tampons. You know what I mean? Mm, and they're embarrassed right. to ask you for that. Um, and so that's kind of what I think of is there's a lot of people that again, assume the worst. And so they, they feel like they can't help or if they do want to help, they, they only think about certain groups because what I hear a lot is like, we need to help homeless vets like mm-hmm. our mil- they served our military we need to help them before we help anybody else yeah. and i feel like that one is just problematic because it's just kind of putting a hierarchy of people um and number two it's kind of just that reality of again of that there's a bigger issue here of you can't just help one group like because everything is connected of homeless vets are connected to other people on the street because how did they get there exactly what you were talking about there are certain risk factors and unfortunately Josie and I've talked about this as well those risk factors also send people to the military because they have nowhere else to go yeah and that's something that we have to address so you can't just say I want to only help homeless vets because all of these risk factors that are checking the box for them to become homeless are the same ones they checked that led them to join the military because they needed a safety net they needed a sense of security they needed a job and a house and the military can give that to them and quite frankly i find it very disturbing that we have all this information all this research to the point where they can predict with 90 percent accuracy if you will end up homeless and nothing is being done to address those risk factors preemptively. Yep. I mean, the only form of restorative justice in this country that we even have is the foster care system, and that's not well-funded, and that's not well-handled. And it's, and it's, yeah, it's not even great. There's, and, it's and it's a pipeline. And it's a pipeline. Yeah, it's a pipeline to homelessness. Exactly. Yeah. And so knowing that, we all are very well aware that the foster care system is a breeding ground for homelessness especially for queer youth especially for and yet we can't do anything to address that and why 
because we have these large bodies of people who think that they in some way deserve it. And a majority of those people statistically on or on the right side of politics and are church going human beings. How does that make any sense? How does it make sense for you to say, yeah, we're going to all about charity, but not the government. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. Put your money where your mouth is, no matter where the money's coming from. If you believe in the mission of the, of Jesus, like you say you do. Kevin, do you have a response for people that kind of make those comments of like, the government isn't called to take care of people. The church is like, how do you kind of like respond to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I honestly don't get that one as much anymore. Um, but I just, it's, it's very silly. I, I mean, the things we rely on the government to do everything else, you know, mm, um, yes. like, okay, then just stop paying your taxes then and only give your money to the church. If that's what you believe, you know, don't call the firefighters when your house is burning down, call the church. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't buy it. I don't think, um, yeah, it, it's not even honestly an argument that I, I tend to engage all that much because there's certain arguments where it's like, Oh, you bring up an interesting point. That's a myth that I can dispel with mm -hmm. this. And mm -hmm. other ones are just like, that's just even, you know, even as you're saying that, that you don't buy that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that one to me feels more of the latter. It's like a cop out. Yeah. And like all of these um, middle-class people who, as soon as they hear that an affordable housing complex is being built, they're all of a sudden property values. Yeah. Fuck people who need homes, property values. I can't. Yeah. No, I, can't. I mean, it's following, following Jesus is um, really, really quite something until it starts to cost you something, you know? It's almost like that. Jesus said, it's going to cost you everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think truly following <laughs> Jesus um, means you wouldn't be concerned about your property value. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think about, I have living with me, my brother-in-law and I mean, he has some of the markers. I mean, he has autism. He's mentally ill. He, um, you know, can't really hold down a job because of the autism or whatever, which is not his fault. It's, you know, a, uh, what's the word? We live in an ableist society. Ableist. Oh, <laughs> a disabled person. What the hell? Anyways, whatever. We live in an ableist society or whatever. And I think like if I didn't take him in after he was kicked out of his last housing situation, what would have happened to him? If I wasn't like, yeah, I got an extra room. I don't need my office. I can just put my computer next to my bed hence the mess like and that just seems so easy to me but then i get all these compliments about like oh my gosh Josie, you are such a saint because you took your brother-in-law in and i'm like what was the other option like why is it sainthood to take in somebody in need and why is it hard to see that homelessness is just, like you said, isolation. It's like people who don't have anybody who are quote unquote saints to help them. What happened to the saints that are supposed to be in the church that anyways, I'm yeah, so no, that's, that's a whole piece of it that I really, 
I want to explore in the future. I don't get a lot of opportunity to in the book is just our general cultural uh, move toward isolation mm-hmm. and, and away from community, right? Um, the sense that our our houses are getting bigger, um, the number of people we're putting in them are smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really, really encouraged and and the church does a great job also encouraging this, like that the only thing you should have to care about is yourself and your nuclear family. If you're married, you know, your wife and your two and a half kids, mm-hmm. uh, like that's, that's who you are responsible for. If you have, if you have an extra bedroom, that's, that's, that's your man cave. That's your, your office, your, your playroom, like whatever, um, get the biggest house you can without any sense of responsibility to what that square footage might <laughs> you know, how, what, what God might require of that extra bedroom. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, just increasingly. And then COVID throws a whole wrench into this too, of course, but like just how, how isolated we are and how, how independent we've, we've chosen to be, um, at, at the beginning of COVID, uh, I live in a, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on it. I, I live in an apartment complex. Um, the uh, most of them are, are owners. They're they're condos. That's the word I was looking for. Okay. Um, we rent, but most of the people here own. Um, when COVID hit, it was like only like one third of people had toilet paper, and the other third had like you know baby formula. And it was I decided like okay, we live in a building together like let's let's do some mutual aid some solidarity mm-hmm. and i like created a facebook group and i went or i like printed out a flyer for every door and went around and stuck it in the door i was like hey join this facebook group like let's take care of each other during this thing and like two people joined god i could cry i know i was and i was <laughs> so, so like I was so bummed by that because I'm also, I'm not a super extroverted person. Like it took a lot for me to get, to get there. It was fine because I was like, I can print this. I can be on Facebook. Um, but yeah, I was like, Oh man, like we're, and so we're just a building full of people that are like, we're, we're going to huddle each in our own places Mm -hmm. and do this. And like, one of us is going to end up like wiping their ass with a Kleenex while while next door, like they're stocked up, you know, like, it's just so, it's just so silly. Like, why do we, why do we choose to live like that? Yeah. We live on islands when we weren't made to live that way. I know. Like I have a friend right now who's going through a mental health crisis and I've just watched everybody who ever claimed to love her, leave her because it was too much. And granted, Maybe it was for them, but also it makes you think, right? When you're like the one that's sticking around, you're like, but what about me? Like I am disabled. I'm mentally ill. Like what about what would happen if I got sick and I needed somebody and I like, I'm not an island because I choose not to be an island, but are you going to, are you going to force me onto an island? Are you not going to care for me? And as the church, we're not doing a good job of mitigating that, of saying like, hey, no, maybe you should buy a smaller house if you don't need the space. Maybe you should take in some foster kids if you have the room. Maybe you should 
give the homeless guy money anyway because whether he uses it for drugs or not maybe that dose of meth will save his life and save him from a heart attack from not being able to use like there's so many of these factors that the church is just not helping with especially in the instance of homelessness which like you said is predictable is avoidable and we have a remedy for it that we choose we are choosing as a society not to address not to invest in yeah you know something else that i like kind of recently thought just because i you know i spent a majority of my life in arizona but then moved to california california has beautiful weather most of the year and moving to arizona um and now living and where i work like my office is in downtown so it's more you know you see more homeless people in the city center yeah. and the thought of like it's 120 degrees out here a lot during, you know, there are certain months where triple digits is the norm. And it's that thought of like homelessness, homelessness looks so different in different parts of the country for different reasons. And I think about, you know, places of extreme weather, whether it's Arizona summers or like hurricane season or like blizzards, like things like that, where I'm like, this is stuff that we don't talk about either. Like mm-hmm. we don't talk about how do we take care of our, our, our neighbors that are experiencing homelessness in these yeah. kind of times, you know, like, obviously like everyone's like carry water, like in your car and give it to people you see. And I'm like, okay, but that's not enough. Like they need like sunscreen or like so many other things that it's like, I don't you know, even just, let them in the mall to cool off because you don't like the way they look. Yes. And it's, it's things like that where I'm like, like I said, like, I think living in LA for uh, a chunk of time, like kind of the beginning of my adult years, it kind of made me numb to certain parts of homelessness because the area we went to school, it was so common to Mm -hmm. see them. And again, it was one of those, especially because we went to a faith-based school, you know, people would always talk about like, oh, I used my extra meal card money and bought sandwiches and took them to people, you know, that are homeless and in the community. And I'm like, that's great. But like, what else are you doing? And now what are you voting for, bitch? (laughs) Literally now I'm just like, wow, there are so many aspects of this that just nobody talks about that is literally like in the heart of like, if we care about them and exactly what Josie said, like you want to take scripture seriously. Like these are literally the things that we just choose to ignore, but there's other things that we're like, this is so important to us. Yeah. You're going to tell me that I can't get a tattoo because Leviticus says so, but what about the year of Jubilee? What about everybody being rid of their debts and everybody having a home to live? What about that in Leviticus? I actually don't know if that's in Leviticus, but it might be Um, like it's, I can't. But anyways, how about well, I'm a I like to bitch and moan and complain all day. But I also like to offer some solutions. So friends, what can we do as um progressives, as conservatives too, I guess. Fuck you, but also what can they do? Uh sorry, I speak for myself and myself only. <laughs> uh so what what solutions do we have? What yeah like feasible long-term short-term the whole nine yards kevin you're the expert (laughs) yeah i mean we need to build a lot of housing um we need to build affordable housing Uh, we need to build permanent supportive housing which is housing specifically designed for people with uh who who are chronically homeless um 
and comes with wraparound optional services uh, for people to engage in. Um, and we need a lot of it everywhere, mm-hmm. um, all over the place. Uh, and we need to lower the barriers um, to ground level uh, for entry into those, get rid of a ton of regulations and requirements and stipulations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the that's the big macro level, right? Um, on the more community uh, church side of it, um, I mean, churches can use their property <laughs> to do stuff like that for mm-hmm. one. There's a lot mm-hmm. of unused, untapped property uh, held by churches, by Christian schools. Um, so that's one thing. Um, I would also, I think there's a lot of like really small things that we could do that would make a big difference. Um, because I do think we could scale up affordable housing a lot quicker than we tend to, Mm -hmm. but I'm also just going to, I'm I'm going to admit that that's not going to happen tomorrow. So in the meantime, uh, what can churches do? I think that churches, uh, should lean into the thing that they actually are pretty good at, which is fostering community and giving a safe space for people to come to. Uh, I think that more churches should open up, whether it's during the day, overnight, whatever it is for people to just come, Mm -hmm. um, uh, criminalization of homelessness is happening. Uh, it's spreading like wildfire right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the next five years are going to be really, really bad for that. Mm-hmm. Um, just from what I'm seeing in the more progressive cities, um, you, you said fuck conservatives. I've been fuck progressives, um, for the last few years. Fuck everybody Sp- speaking, truthfully. <laughs> speaking specifically of those in power in Los Angeles who, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and other cities, but I'm more familiar with the LA ones. Um, criminalization is happening. The people who are experiencing homelessness, their very existence, the way that their bodies have to take up space, uh, is criminalized. Mm-hmm. They, people need spaces to go. Um, I think that churches who are already doing things like food lines or, whatever should just expand, uh, to having those things maybe, but also just being a place to come and be for an extended period of time. Um, you know, if you only serve food for an hour right now, what would it look like to serve it for three hours? Even if you just served at the beginning, whenever people came, they could stay as long as they wanted. Um, I think that's a great way to not only, um, meet an emerging need, uh, but also, that increases what I was talking about earlier, that FaceTime with people where, you know, hearts and minds can be changed. You start, start to get to know people and, you know, your misconceptions go out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could be probably one of the most immediate crucial things mm-hmm. that the churches could do um, to change the landscape and the perspective around homelessness. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I think, um, one you kind of said of just like criminalization within cities and stuff something that is becoming more and more uncomfortable for me is people that i know and love talking about wanting to move out of certain areas because homelessness is so bad and they're just tired of seeing it it honestly i'm just like yeah it does and what you said of you know where my husband and i moved from in orange county 
we would drive down a part of the freeway where there was like a tent city along the freeway. And one day Orange County just said no and moved it all. And I like couldn't drive by that part of the freeway without getting overwhelmed because of just the thought of like, people are so obsessed with what the side of the freeway looks Mm -hmm. like that they literally destroyed people's only form of shelter. Mm-hmm. And it, and it just cut me to my core where I'm like, what kind of people are we? And exactly mm-hmm. what you said, Kevin, of it's not just, this is one of those things that a lot of times I am very much like the conservatives should do this or the conservatives should do this. I this is very much a time where I'm like, everybody needs to do everybody because exactly what you said, there were so many large progressive led cities that like power makes you power makes honestly i just think like power makes people evil sometimes and destroying tent cities because you want to make your city beautiful is evil in my opinion mm-hmm. and i just think it doesn't matter how you vote if that is something that you're for or if, if you claim to be a follower of jesus and you think that's okay you really need to sit down and have a talk with god because um mm-hmm. i think that is that's kind of like pure evil to me to just take yeah. someone's shelter. Yeah, if yeah. you want a beautiful city, start from the ground up, baby. Build them a nice, beautiful house then if you don't like their fucking shelter. Because yeah. quite honestly, we're all responsible for that because we're all not doing enough, right? And here's some more obscure ones for you because I like to think big picture. Um, we should never be allowing the Olympics to come to the United States ever again. I say this as a Los, a Los Angelino. I know for a fact that the city of Los Angeles is already busing people out of Los Angeles because they got to make it look pretty. They got to make LA appealing for the Olympics. And I mean, I boycott the Olympics every single time. Fuck the Olympics. I'll say that. (laughs) This is coming from somebody that I am secretly obsessed with the Olympics. (laughs) I am having... That's something that I think about all the time. We watched the Super Bowl and I literally had this conversation with my mom about like, why did we build this stadium in the middle of Inglewood? Like for yeah, what? Yeah, you're going to wear my like, hood? This, I'm like, this is literally like, you want to th- talk about like gentrification adding to the housing crisis? This is it. They took how much how much land that they could have built affordable housing and they built a stadium and people are like, it brings revenue to the city. And I'm like, yeah, it brings revenue to the city. And you know what else it does? It pushes people that have lived out, lived there for generations out of their family homes, out of their family neighborhoods because they can no longer afford it. Yep. And I'm just like, we're continuing to build revenue for the white man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spencer, yeah. that's right. <laughs> yeah. So a, a, a couple of things I want to say. Uh, one is I agree with you. Any city that, that destroys encampments or tent cities uh, for beautification is evil. Um, and I think something that gets forgotten when that happens is that you're not just destroying people's shelter and people's belongings, but uh, every every tent city is a community. You're destroying yeah. mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're, we're so accustomed to, like, once you see, like, two or three tents being like, ah, oh. <laughs> like, now it's an encampment, and, and encampments are bad because they get bigger, uh, whereas encampments are a means of survival for people who are isolated and who build mm-hmm. communities yep. uh, for survival. And anytime we sweep those, 
people are scattered and communities are completely destroyed not to mention loss yes not to mention the loss of belongings not to mention just the trauma of that but Mm -hmm. people who were connected and dependent on each other are now in the wind um the second thing i want to say i agree with you so much of what we're seeing in los angeles is gearing up toward the olympics um the super bowl was a practice run of that we saw them clear out encampments near that um on top of it i mean i I will just tell you what we're going to see because we're going to see it in los angeles we're already hearing talks of it in seattle and portland Mm. all along the west coast we're going to see uh politicians most of them democrats running Mm -hmm. on compassionate platforms of addressing homelessness Mm -hmm. who are going to build really, really, really large facilities um, that are designed for thousands of people and they are going to force people to go into them or be arrested. So um, basically go to prison or go to prison. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and like every every city that has like Los Angeles, uh, Portland, every city that has like a, a mayor election coming up has a dominant candidate who's pitching that up in Portland, they're wanting uh, FEMA to staff it. And, and like, that's, that's what we're hearing. And especially in LA, we know the Olympics are coming. That's, that's what's coming. Um, I hope that the current champion of it, Joe Buscaino does not win. Uh, but if it's not him, it's going to be someone else in a couple yeah. years. Um, and I think that is where, uh, this conversation really needs to get specific uh, mm-hmm. because Joe Buscaino is one of the most evil politicians I've ever witnessed on this topic. And he's a Democrat and he runs with language of compassion and ending homelessness, but the way he goes about it is wrong. And I think yep. it's so easy for most people to say, I am compassionate. I want to end homelessness and and fall for it. Um, so a piece a piece that I've decided I'm adding to my book because my book is coming out in August and right before midterms, uh, is, is a voting guide, which Mm. is sort of what, what are the buzzwords? What are the, what are the things to look for in somebody's platform? Because, because you Mm. can't just look at Republican or Democrat on this issue. Um, you have to look specifically, what are their plans? What have they supported? What do, local unhoused activists say who, who are, what's, who's on their voting guide. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, because it's just, it's so, it's so complicated and and the devil is in the details on this. I agree. I mean, yeah, we're officially anti-Joe podcast. Thank you. Kevin. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but also I think part of that is to like this whole mindset of like, we're we're not in it for pretty little band-aids we're in for sustainable solutions mm-hmm. you can build a building but if you don't have like the infrastructure if you don't have like job training if you don't have like access to be able to get somebody their social security card like stuff like that that seems so minimal it's not gonna work um but also another macro thing that i'll add and i'm gonna add a lot of people here and i'm super excited about this <laughs> email me please um I think that as individuals, we need to stop buying investment properties. Fuck your investment property. You get one house. You get to buy one house. You live in it. That's it. 
We don't need no more landlords. We don't need no more Irvine companies. None of it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm calling everybody out. Because it contributes to this, right? I mean, I've told lots of people, like, if for me, one of the ways to help with affordable housing in California is to one, stop letting foreign investors come buy up property just because they have the money to do so and two maybe we should put a cap on how many houses people can buy like if you want two maybe three you're an asshole but fine but you should not like i can't buy a house because you have 10 like how is that fair how is that reasonable how does that keep affordability in mind anyways that's no, another you, you're right it's it's <laughs> it, it's it's intentional manipulation yep. of of the housing market to drive mm -hmm. up prices and mm -hmm. uh and it happens all the time and it's really really bad in la uh and it's and that has been like carefully stewarded by mm -hmm. decades of democrat mayors yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's why that's why i like and i grew up a republican and had to go through a whole phase of deconstructing that mm -hmm. whole thing but I, you will so more often these days hear me yeah shit talking democrats because <laughs> that's that's who is causing the problem in yep. a city and it and, has a ripple effect yeah because you have west coast adjacent states like arizona that are now suffering a huge housing crisis because mm -hmm. of people fleeing california in hopes of more affordability also people fleeing because you know they want to go to like a republican state whatever <laughs> well and fleeing for affordability for the reason that josie's saying though mm -hmm. they want to yes. be able to have a really big house yes uh, oh 100 they don't need and they want to be able to buy multiple houses mm -hmm. and yeah yeah, there's, they're just manufacturing the same crisis there. There's, exactly. There's people like my husband and I who moved here kind of at the start of, you know, they're calling it like the mass exodus. And we moved here, yeah, to be a little bit more affordable, but it was kind of going back to that community thing of we yeah. knew we wanted to start our family and we knew we can't start a family in Southern California and have no support. Yeah. Hella, kids are hella expensive. Yeah. California is already expensive and we don't have any people here that are going to like day in and day out, help us with our kid when we need it. So oh, we well, you here. had me, but whatever. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm Mexican. So, so I'm, I'm in, I'm trained. <laughs> <laughs> so we moved here to be in that community system. And now we're still, we're still facing the challenge of like, yep. is our rent less here? Of course it is, but they just raised it again. We moved here a year. They just raised it. They're going to keep raising it yeah. and um you know again we took pay cuts to live to move here and of course it's supposed to be one of those of like yeah you took a pay cut but like it's still like equivalent and i'm like no it's not if i was if i was making what i made in california and moved here i would be like yep i would be in a good spot you know i'd be what people are like oh yeah like that's comfortable middle class that's what everybody strives to be um i can't do that when exactly what you said everybody keeps buying the houses and everybody luxury apartment buildings are popping in downtown oh, all the luxury apartment building well the homeless population goes out of control and there's yeah. just so many problems and i think um what you said the kind of like voter guide and this kind of stuff is so helpful because again we're just kind of in this spot where like nobody can win like you know people are like you voted for this president and he's not doing anything and i'm like y'all don't understand that like i'm more disappointed than you are let me yeah. Like, yeah. trust I'm, me like i'm way more disappointed than you are so you don't have to tell me but you also can't blame him for everything because our government is structured in a way that 
what's impacting your daily life is at local and state levels way more than it is at a federal level. And until we understand that and until we know how to vote and dictate how our local governments and state governments run, we're never going to live in a country that you're happy with. So yeah, that's it. That's it. And, And when people ask like people who are a little more policy minded, ask me what they can do about homelessness. I say like, get involved in local local government because Mm -hmm. the stuff that impacts the lives of unhoused people is down ballot it's it's Mm -hmm. the stuff that has letters and numbers that most Mm -hmm. people when they get to the poll are like sounds good i guess Mm -hmm. um and 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 that's the kind of stuff that just makes the Mm -hmm. biggest difference and and people aren't are going in educated about it and 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 city council members you know like mm -hmm. especially in la oh my goodness they are so empowered to crush lives (laughs) and they do it i would i would even argue things like school board members because again when you think about what are what are things we can track of risk factors to homelessness that starts in schools And so even things of a school board member, a city council member, you know, a mayor, like all of that stuff has way more impact than people give it credit for. And like you said, like, I remember, I remember right when my husband and I moved to Santa Ana, it was like an election year. And same thing when we lived in Anaheim, like there was always elections and I'm like, I'm not going to vote in these. I have no idea what any of this means. And all the time it was people running for school board or running for city Mm -hmm. council. And it's things like that, that I'm like, we need to understand why they're running or like, why do they keep having elections? Because obviously something is happening and we need to understand that. Yep. Well, friends, here are my final thoughts. And then you guys can give me your final thoughts. (laughs) Um, This is my way of wrapping up the podcast because we've gone long and I love it, but uh, we want to have you back, Kevin. So you can't, Ruin all the material. All right. <laughs> oh, crap. We have a book debut episode. I know. Come on. I know. Ooh, get it. All right. Well, my final thoughts are fuck politicians. Every single one of them. No offense, but full offense. Also, I don't care. Um, vote in your local elections. Uh, don't blame homeless people. Blame the politicians. And if you're not putting your money where your mouth is, maybe you should shut it. All right. That's Josie's aggressive take of the day. Anyways. Love it. (laughs) Uh, My my final thoughts are that the system is broken in so many countless ways. And again, I think if you truly want to call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you know, what have you, whatever language feels best to you. A decent um, human being. This is something that, again, of you want to evil in our world, like, because that's such a hot topic of, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, blah, 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 politics, this politics, that you want to talk about evil in our world. It's when people ignore what Jesus, you know, would call the least of these mm. and in our in our communities it's our unhoused neighbors it's mm-hmm. the people in our lives that we choose daily to drive by on the corner and ignore and i'm guilty of that just as much as the next person mm-hmm. i literally did it today and it made me feel like shit and now here i am like i hope i can find that person tomorrow um and it's just things like that where it's like and again even me saying that of like it made me feel bad you can't just do it because it makes you feel good you have to do it because you care about people mm-hmm. and that's something that i want to do every day is i want to 
I want to care about people because I claim to follow Jesus. And he told me at the basic of everything I do is to care about people. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that if you're listening to this, you send it to a friend who maybe wants to talk about this, because this is an issue, not just in the big cities, but in the small communities, because honestly, that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. If people can't find the support there, they move to a big city. And unfortunately they're not finding the support there either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think agree with all of that. And I will just add that if you want to know how to end homelessness, ask some unhoused people what they need and give them that. Truly. <laughs> um, and the more that we're going to start to see uh, solutions for some people and the language of people refusing services or the, if you've heard language of people just some people want to be homeless, they, they turn down everything that's offered them. Um, if unhoused people are refusing your services, there's something wrong with your services, not with them. Mm, Amen. And, um, yeah. Salvation army. (laughs) I'm very critical of salvation. Sorry. As you should, as you should. (laughs) Um, yep. They're, they're on my list. Oh, God damn it. Their thrift stores are amazing, but I digress. I'm sorry, Kevin. I tried not to. No, but I, I'm with you. I like their thrift stores too. I like thrift stores. And I, and I also, I kind of, I don't like Goodwill for other reasons. And it's like, what else is there? Uh, so side tangent, a new one just opened by my house and it's owned by the Mormons and they have the best Desert? stuff. Yes, they have the <laughs> best stuff. And I'm like, damn it. These Mormons are getting me. I know the Mormons. They're all getting us. Anyways, Kevin, continue. That's No, that was my last thought is the Mormons are getting us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, anyways. We've plug been plug away, that. Kevin. Plug away. What do, what do you got to plug? Your Twitter, your yeah. book. Where, where do you people... want people to donate their cash to help? The yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So yeah, I I'll ha- I have a Twitter. That's where I'm most active. I like Twitter because I can talk about this and be sassy and give hot takes on movies all in the same place. Uh, and I don't take pictures, so I'm terrible at Instagram. Um, but I'm at Kevin M Nye one on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm sorry. Somebody beat me to Kevin M Nye. So I just threw a one on there. Um, don't forget the one. Uh, my website is kevinmnye.com. I have a newsletter there you can subscribe to, uh, you can pre-order my book right now. Uh, the three places you can get it are at the, the website of my publisher, Harold press, uh, it is also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Yeah, but fuck Amazon. So yes, go. <laughs> yeah, go, go buy it from the publisher direct or Barnes and Noble. Um, Support and bookstores. Yes. Yeah. Right now, I don't think you can like go to your local bookstore yeah. and request it just yet. Or like, I like bookshop.org mm, and yeah, that's, yeah. it's not on there yet. So hey, just hang Barnes tight. Barnes and Noble is still way better than Amazon. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> definitely. Or or just straight from the publisher. It's even yep, better. Exactly. Cut out the middleman. Uh, unless you like the middleman because it's your local bookstore. Um, and yeah, that's most of what I want to plug. Uh, if you want to donate money, the organization I work for is called the center in Hollywood. And that's our website is the center in Hollywood.org. Uh, we do awesome work. I agree. Um, I've heard lots and lots from Sarah. So, uh, Josie approved, Spencer approved, Kevin approved. I just spoke for Spencer. Sorry about it. 
No, anybody that's uh, doing good work for homeless people and not making them sit through a service is a okay with my book. So, cause Lord yeah. knows when I was volunteering, which was, I did not want to sit for those fucking services myself. And I was all about the Lord back then. So mm-hmm. imagine somebody who's just a little bit hungry. All right, friends. Well, <laughs> um, Kevin, we're going to have to give away a copy of your book. We're really into giving away books. So yes. <laughs> I love it. we'll buy a few from you and, uh, give them away to the people. Maybe we'll send them to some politicians. Well, we're at it too please yeah i'm gonna be yeah i'm i get a few like author copies and i think i'm just gonna like scatter them on mitch o'farrell's lawn (laughs) fuck mitch oh why is it guy's name mitch always the mitches no offense if your name is mitch unless you're an asshole then full offense all right kevin well it's been a great time having you uh we hope you come back especially around the olympics Ooh, Ooh in 2028 yeah i guess it's a kind of <laughs> far away i hate the olympics i'm really like i'm really mad at the olympics anyways i'm with you else? i i just had someone reach out to me asking me to to write about the olympics and homelessness in la so that's, mm-hmm. that's, making me i told him guilty because I, I did him, cry <laughs> I did cry when um i can't remember his name one gold dancing to uh elton john on the ice so. hey no shade to the athletes the athletes are just trying to do what they gotta do right i mean i don't support trying to get that bag <laughs> they don't get a lot of money but <laughs> compared to other countries they don't <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so you know whatever but the olympic committee fuck you anyways that's enough swearing from josie today sorry kevin wow you really got a feisty me today (laughs) all right i'm here for it do the nazarene swear uh i do okay cool (laughs) Uh, kevin you're not a good nazarene (laughs) they've made that clear to me (laughs) (laughs) well friends in the spirit of today's very woke episode as i always say stay woke or get woke Bye. (laughs) This has been an irreverent media podcast.